We are continuing today in our series in 1 Corinthians. And by the way, if you have missed any of the sermons previously, you can always go to our app or our website at fogkc.com. You can hear any of them there. Uh, we've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians for several months now. It takes us a little while. And we are currently in chapter 9. We're going to do the last half of chapter 9. Now, just for those of you who haven't been joining us, some things to keep in mind here. Uh, 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth. And most all these people are first-generation Christians. I mean, they didn't have parents that were Christians. Uh, most of them came out of, of, of pagan lifestyles, so they didn't even have parents that were Jews and understood and knew the Old Testament God, which is our God. And so they didn't have any background in this at all. So they're, they're these new believers following Jesus, and they got a lot of questions. I mean, they write, uh, and so Paul's writing them back in answer to a letter he got from them with all these questions about life as well as some things that Paul has heard about them uh, that are concerning for him. And he's, he's dealt with those mostly in chapters 1 through 7. And, and in chapter 8, he began to answer some of their questions. In chapter 8, he uh, talks specifically about the question of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And they were asking, I don't want to re-preach the whole sermon, but they were basically asking, uh, now when we, in our current culture, when people uh, sacrifice an animal to a, a, an idol, a false god, is it okay then if we eat that meat? And Paul said, well, of course, we have freedom in Christ. Those are false gods. They don't exist. So it really doesn't mean anything when somebody sacrifices an animal to that God that doesn't exist. So it's certainly fine to go eat it. But make sure that our theology never overrides our love. So what he was saying there was, listen, if you're sitting down to eat with others uh, that are unfamiliar with this uh, false pagan godship stuff, just, hey, have at it and eat all you want. But when you sit down with somebody who's come out of this pagan lifestyle and they're maybe a weaker Christian, maybe they've only been a Christian for a few weeks or months, and they would see this as somehow sinful and, and can't understand it, don't eat it. Yes, you have freedom, but let your love for them override your theology in a sense. And that doesn't mean to, to, to have bad theology or do something contrary or contradictory. It just means uh, don't express your freedom completely uh, without love. And then last week, Pastor Christopher explained the first half of chapter 9. Uh, I always want to say Pastifer. I don't, know, I don't know why I want to put Pastor and Christopher together. Pastifer, Christ, uh, Pastor Christopher explained the first half of chapter 9 where Paul defended his apostleship. And some of them were saying, well, Paul, you're not, how, how are you, who are you to tell us what to do? You're not even an apostle. You won't even take the money we give you. Well, in that first half of chapter 9, Paul's defending his right to be compensated for his work in the church even though he decided not to take that compensation. What he was saying was, listen, I, I have every right to take it. I've, I've earned it, just like you earn your pay. But he says, I'm giving up my rights and, and insist uh, on compensation in order to not become a barrier to the gospel. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna entitled to it, but I'm gonna insist on not taking it so that I don't become a barrier to the gospel being presented. And Christopher, Pastor Christopher uh, explained uh, last week a little bit of how Fellowship of Grace got our beginnings. And 13 years ago when the church started, none of the pastors were paid. And it was several months uh, before we even uh, started paying anybody. Even I think, I think my first pay was $100 a week. Started several months after the church started. We kept our, our cushy corporate jobs uh, so that we could be a blessing to the church financially and not a barrier or a burden to the church. 
So we kept those. And in fact, uh, through the progress of time, I became part-time and then Pastor Derek became part-time and then I became full-time and then some situations arose and I became part-time and got another corporate job. He became full-time for a while and now the church can afford without it being a burden to pay us. And as we continue to grow, we'll continue to pay more people because uh, it's very clear that the scripture says it's, it's, it's godly and right to pay pastors for their work. Uh, however, uh, it should never be a barrier to presenting the gospel or for the church to grow and reach more people. Now Paul's going to bring up this connection and seemingly a contradiction between giving up our rights and winning or accomplishing what should be our goal. And so today we're going to talk about uh, giving up in order to win. Give up what, win what. I think it'll come uh, pretty self-explanatory as we go forward. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. We'll read the whole thing together, and then we'll come back and take it apart piece by piece. Here's what it says. Uh, God's word says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. By the way, my voice is just a little hoarse from this week, so, but I'll make it through if I can, okay? Here's what it says. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as, as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now here in this passage, he, he continues on this kind of theme about loving and, 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 and doing things of eternal value in spite of the, the freedom and the just really rights that we have. And the first thing he says is, be willing to give up our personal rights to win others to Christ. Be willing to give up our personal rights to win others to Christ. Here's what it says back in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now in every single situation, we should be willing to give up our rights in order to share the gospel with someone, in order to get a hearing. Now there are two motivating factors in this statement that Paul makes. First, he's humble enough to not demand his rights as actual rights. What he's saying here is, folks, I'm not the center of the universe. And me demanding and expressing my rights is not the most critical thing. Now, that's good for us to hear. That's good for us to hear. Because we live in a culture that whether you're a conservative or a liberal, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, or you're on this side or that side, everybody wants to express their rights. Right? I mean, everybody wants to, to execute them at the most extreme level. And Paul's saying, listen here, my rights are just not important. 
Oh, I've got them. I'm entitled. But me expressing them isn't important if it hinders my ability to share the gospel. Paul's major motivation here is to love others who are far from God enough to give up his own personal rights. You know, as I watch the Chiefs parade from my warm couch at home, I remember seeing a guy at the Chiefs parade that was wearing a Green Bay jacket. There was just this massive sea of red and this one little green spot. And I thought, well, what is, and that's a guy with a Green Bay jacket on. Now, nobody is saying that a man doesn't have the right to wear what he wants to wear. Certainly does. But he wasn't giving up his right to represent his team, even at the parade of the other team's championship. But it was clear his personal rights were more important to him than how the crowd felt about him. He certainly wasn't there to make any friends, right? He wasn't concerned about their take on him, but only his right to wear what he wanted, and he certainly has that right. Now, the focus for him was him certainly not connecting to others or relating to those around him. There was almost a sense of arrogance around the attitude that said, hey, this is my team, and if you don't like it, tough. Now, maybe that's the only coat he has. Let's give him a break, okay? But that wouldn't make for a very good sermon illustration, so we're going to just assume that he would you know, do it that way. What was really interesting was I was watching uh, Channel 9's coverage, and actually I had two big screen TVs. I was watching two different channels, but I, I was, uh, I'm a little bit of a fan. But I, I was watching, and they had this interview with this guy, and they were interviewing different people, and they said, hey, where did you come from to watch the parade? And he said, I think it was Detroit. He said, hey, I'm, I'm from Detroit. And they said, wow, you came all the way from Detroit to watch the parade of the Chiefs. You must be a great fan. He goes, well, not really. Actually, I, I, I was, came here on a bus and I was supposed to go somewhere else, but the crowd was too much down there and, and, the, and the traffic was so much that there are no buses running. So I got stuck here in Kansas City. So the guy went out and bought a Chiefs shirt and he said, now I'm a fan. Okay? <laughs> now, now that's a guy that wants to fit in, right? He, he, he made a big effort to fit into the crowd and kind of connect. Paul's first motivation basically is saying this, folks. I have enough humility to give up what I rightfully have, what I rightly have a, a, a privilege to do, I give it up if it means I get to share the gospel. But the second one is this, his incredible love for those who are far from God. He's saying, I'm willing to give up my rights in order to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying for our sins with other people. You see, to Paul, hell is real. I'm not sure we really believe that. Now, we might intellectually believe that. But I'm not sure based on our behavior all the time, we really believe that. To Paul, the time is very short. There's a sense of urgency. I'm not sure we always remember that. I'm not sure that's at the forefront of our minds when we go for days, weeks, months, and even years not sharing what Jesus has done for those we love the most. To Paul, sharing the gospel is his very highest priority. I'm not sure that's true for us. There are a lot of things that vie for our time and our effort and our energy. I'm not sure that sharing the gospel is absolutely the highest priority we have. In this one statement, folks, Paul is saying, listen, I'm willing to give up what I am entitled to 
in order to share the good news about Jesus with those who don't know him yet. In fact, I'm concerned that sometimes we even act in ways that, that maybe communicate we don't believe those things that are important to believe. Like, for instance, when we ask the church to pray for a loved one for weeks and months and months, and we pray for them to come to know Jesus, we pray for them to come, we pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. They hear it and they reject it. They continue on. And then when they pass away, we want to say, well, at least they're in a better place. No, they aren't. They aren't in a better place. If they haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior, folks, we need to stop saying that because it's theologically untrue. And it messes up our head when it comes to sharing the gospel with those we love. Paul continues. He says, seek to connect with those around us within limitations for the gospel. Paul's not saying, hey, at all costs, no matter what, give up everything there is on the planet, just, just go share the gospel. He's not saying that. There are some limitations, but let's look and see what they are according to God's word in verses 20 through 23. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. Now look in the parentheses. Those are the limitations. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, Paul gives some specific illustrations from his cultural context, and I think we can certainly learn some principles from this. First, he brings up the Jews. Paul says, hey, when I'm with them, I'm going to live under not just the moral law of God, but under the Old Testament with all of its rules and regulations in order to not offend those that I'm with. In other words, when Paul goes to a restaurant with Jews, he's not going to order a pork chop. Even, no matter how bad he wants one, no matter how much he has a right to one, he's just not going to do it because they view it as unclean and eating it is an affront to God. And so he just won't do it. He doesn't say, well, you guys might not want to, but it's my right as a Christian. I don't have that rule, so I'm going to do it. He doesn't do that. He says, listen, if it's going to offend them, I'm not going to do it. Does he have a right to eat it? Of course he does. He has freedom in Christ, but he's not going to because he loves them. He doesn't exercise his rights because he doesn't want to be an obstacle. He doesn't want that pork chop to be an obstacle for sharing the gospel. But then when he's with the Gentiles, he says, those who are far from God and, and don't have any Old Testament understanding, he says, I'm not going to act like a Jew. I'm going to order a pork chop. I'm going to eat up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. So I'm going to practice my freedom with this caveat, but not outside the moral law of God. I'm still under the law of Christ. In other words, I'm, hey, when I'm with people that don't have a background, uh, any kind of religious background, and they're just you know, trying to figure this thing out, I'm going to go and I'm going to practice all my freedom, but I'm not going to be so free that I become sinful in their behavior. 
Paul is actually saying, I will change where I go and what I do in order to not create any man-made barriers that would hinder me from sharing the gospel and hinder them from responding to it. Now, I can hear people in our culture and people in our church right now. Listen, I'm just going to be myself. People can take it, they can like it, or they can lump it. I don't care. I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to put on some false thing and act like I'm a Jew when I'm not a Jew. I'm not going to be, not be me. I'm just going to be normal me. Now, folks, that's an incredibly selfish attitude. The reality is, if I let down even half of my filters and just was who I am, you guys, half of you wouldn't come back to this church. And by the way, if you let your filters down, and half of us wouldn't let you come back to church, all right? The reality is, I'm not talking about being fake or phony. I'm talking about changing your behavior because you love somebody. My wife is not comfortable with R-rated movies, even if there's not you know, sexuality and cursing and all that kind of stuff. It, it was just a little violent. You know, it's a war movie. She won't watch it. She doesn't like it. Fine. I don't turn them on when we're together. If I want to watch it, I'll go downstairs. I'll watch it by myself. But I don't force her to do it. Paul's strategy is opposite from where we say, I just need to be me and everybody needs to live with it. Listen, if that, and by the way, if that's your strategy for sharing the gospel, I'm just going to be me and just who I am is who I am and I don't care how everybody likes it or not, I'm just going to share, and I'm just going to share the gospel. Tell me how that's working for you. How, how many people have you led to Jesus in the last three months? It doesn't work. Paul is saying, listen, live in the world, but don't be of the world. He suggests that we reach this balance, not becoming so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Now, what does that mean? Take the Amish, for instance. In an effort to have holy and godly lives, they have removed themselves from society so far that they have almost no effect on the lives of those around them. In fact, let's just be really honest, most of us just see them as kind of weird, right? Now, while their motives may be 100% godly, their execution is so far removed from what our society sees as normal that they have no impact on the lost world around them, or virtually none. They're certainly not growing. They aren't converting people at a rapid pace. But listen, if, and I can't imagine what the circumstances would be that I was ever invited to speak at an Amish church, but if I was ever, uh, you know, asked to speak at an Amish church, I would wear a hat. I would wear their clothes. I would stop shaving for a week and do the best I could. You know, I mean, that's what you do because, not, not because I'm trying to be somebody I'm not, but because I love them and I don't want to create a hindrance or a barrier from them being able to hear what the gospel is or what I want, what I believe God's, you know, speaking to them through me. Folks, we have to live in a way that we connect with lost people. And frankly, some of us have become so heavenly minded, we just don't even like lost people. We don't even like people that are far from God. Listen, if they haven't given their lives to Jesus and they're not even, you know, if they're not halfway discipled already where they quit doing some things, we don't really have any interest in them. That's not a, that's not a Christ-like attitude at all. But Paul's really specific. There is a limitation, and that comes from the law of Christ. If I am committing sin, I'm not going to participate with them. We should never cross the line 
by participating in a blatantly sinful act according to God's word and then somehow justify it by, well, well, we're just connecting with lost people. I'm going out with some guys that I work with and on every Friday night we all get drunk together and I'm just doing that to connect with them so that I can, you know, share the gospel with them. No, bad strategy. Paul's saying, no, I never crossed that line. We shouldn't cross that line. Now, let me share with you several ways that this has worked out in my life in the past and currently also. So when I go out to eat with people who are far from God, who haven't yet received Christ as their Savior, I don't insist on praying before the meal. And especially if I'm at their house, I would never do that. Now, listen, if you come to my house for a meal, we're going to pray. And when my family goes out and you might see us at a restaurant, in fact, if you go to Rancho Grande after church, I'm sure you will see us. And, uh, we'll be, and we're going to pray before our meal. But listen, when there are lost people that are with us, I don't insist on doing that. Now, if they know I'm a pastor and they ask me if I want to, I will. But I'm not going to make them do something that might go, oh my gosh, now we've got to sit with these people for half an hour and watch them eat. They're all these holy roller guys. We don't want to do that. Now, I'm still going to be thankful, but I don't have to say it out loud. When I go to a ball game, like a Royals game, I don't insist on my rights not to hear people cursing. I don't know if you know this or not, but at the Royals, it's still, you know, against the rules to curse. And if you, if somebody's bugging you because they're cursing too much, you can go get an usher and you can have people removed for that. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I went to public high school, guys. I've heard everything. There's nothing you can say that I haven't heard. Do I prefer to hear it? Absolutely not. But it's not going to change me. I'm not going to start doing it because the guy behind me is going to do it. I'm not going to get them thrown out because then they're going to, oh, well, now tell me about Jesus, why don't you? Of course not. They're going to hate me. All right? So I'm not, I'm not exercising my rights because I love them. Okay? I have the right to not have people in my car who smell like weed or cigarette smoke or alcohol. I have a right to that. But when I Uber drive for them, I give up that right. Now, I have the right through this church because of their, your generosity, to not have to have a second job. I don't have to Uber drive. But I do it because I want to connect with people who are far from God. I give up all the rights to how my car smells in order to meet more lost people. And I got to tell you, <laughs> every once in a while, somebody gets in with a backpack that I'm just hoping and praying that I don't get pulled over because one of us is going to jail. Listen, listen, I, I have been a Christian a very long time, and there was a time where, honestly, when somebody came into church, if they didn't fit my little mold, I really didn't want them there, and I would be almost apt to moving so I didn't have to sit by them. God forgive me. God forgive us for having that kind of attitude. Listen, folks, orange trees bear oranges. Apple trees bear apples. If we are apple trees who are, are manifesting holiness in our lives the best that we possibly can, and orange trees come into this building and sit among us, why in the world should we expect them to bear apples? What a ridiculous notion. What a really a, a ridiculous notion we have. That's just some of the ways it works out in my life. And by the way, Friday night, I drove for a few hours. A young lady got into my car, and I said, how are you doing tonight? Actually, somebody put her in my car, uh, one of her friends, to send her home. I said, how are you doing tonight? 
She said, I'm doing horrible. I said, well, I'm a really good listener. Maybe I could help. This girl just emotionally vomits out her whole life and every horrible thing that's happened to her. And I got a chance to minister to her. And, and before I dropped her off, I prayed for her. And I still got a tip. <laughs> but, but this is a young lady who I'm not sure what all's going on in her life, but she feels unloved. She feels like nobody cares about what she's going through. And God put me in a place because I was open. I gave up my right that It was my right to stay home and watch television that night, hang out with my wife, just, you know, lounge at home. But I gave up that right in order to kind of go meet people. And I met this young lady, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I did everything I could to share the gospel with her, tell her that Jesus loves her and he cares about what she's going through. And I pray for her now. Think about ways that you have given up or you need to give up your rights to follow Christ better and reach more people, to share the gospel more completely. Now, there's also ways that I haven't become sinful in the past to reach others. When I used to have a, a job at an ink company, I did a lot of travel for the company. And I would go to dinner with a group of guys, usually three or four guys, a couple of guys from my company and, and customers. And then usually after dinner, we would go out to a bar where I would have three or four Diet Cokes. And I would sit with them and talk while they drank, some of them uh, to a sinful stupor. But when they decided to go to a strip club at midnight, I just went back to my hotel room. I just didn't go, okay? I knew that would be sinful to go. I didn't do it. Now, they would tease me. By the way, let's just quit calling teasing uh, uh, being persecuted. Teasing's not being persecuted. I mean, when you look up in the dictionary or online what persecuted means, it's not somebody making fun of you. So while I would go to the bar and visit with them and talk with them and connect with them, and sometimes even share the gospel with them, I wouldn't get drunk with them. I might be able to, you know, it might be hard for me to get to sleep because I drank so many Diet Cokes, but that's the worst thing that ever happened. Let me point out one thing, more thing that Paul says here. He says that he wants to become all things to all people in order to save some. He's recognizing that he isn't going to lead everybody to Jesus. And folks, if you have this burden on you that you don't share the gospel, you don't share the good news that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins and all of our sins can be forgiven just by putting our faith and trust in him, giving our life to him. If you are afraid to share that because you're afraid that you're not gonna leave everybody to Jesus and do it all perfect, just remember, Jesus only went 11 for 12. Okay? Not even Jesus got everybody to follow him. In fact, there are several examples where he, he offered people the opportunity to follow him, and they chose not to, and he let them choose not to. So don't put that burden on you. But what Paul's saying here is, listen, I want to be, whatever it takes for me to open the door to share the gospel with that guy, I want to open the door. Outside of being sinful, I'm not going to do that, but, but anything other than that, I'm going to try to be that. So if you're in Kansas City, get rid of your Green Bay jacket. All right? He's going to make sure that he's not the barrier that keeps people from knowing Jesus. And by the way, he also knows that we can't change a human heart, all right? We don't actually lead anybody to Jesus. We can share with them the message. We can share with them the good news about Jesus, but God is the only one that can change their heart. 
That's up to him to work out. It's our responsibility to share it. It's his responsibility to convert them. And by the way, the Bible's really clear. The reason we don't see more people converted is not because he's not doing his job. It's because we're not doing our job. The last thing I want you to see in this passage is this. Paul says, live in a way that is focused on the kingdom so that we finish well like a winning athlete. Look at verses 24 through 27. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's making some comments here about how to live in the context of sharing the gospel. He says, listen, not everybody gets to live like a winner. Run as though you want to win. Every athlete who is successful has to train, from what I hear. Okay? You know that. They have to train. They have to watch what they eat. They have to exercise. They have to train themselves and just spend all this time disciplining themselves to do that. How much time do we spend disciplining ourselves to be a better sharer of the gospel? Athletes give things up. They, they say disciplined, and they do it all to receive a perishable crown. Now, in the city of Corinth, where Paul's uh, writing this to, they host uh, these games every year called the Isamayan Games that were just slightly less than the Olympic Games. They understood what it took to be a champion. They understood what it took for somebody to train as an athlete. He says, listen, just like they train and exercise in order to win a crown of fig leaves, I train my body to stay away from sin and to share Jesus in order to receive an eternal crown, a crown that won't perish. In verse 27, when he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified, he's not talking about losing his salvation. What he's talking about is losing his testimony. He's talking about having integrity. Have there ever been people in your life that you desperately, desperately want to tell them about Jesus? You want to tell them because you love them and you don't want to see them die without him. But you can't tell them because of your past behavior. There's been people in my life like that before. I've been there. I've been in places before where my behavior was so unchristlike that if I tried to share Jesus with these people that I was around, they would go, what are you talking about? Your life's no different than mine. Paul's saying I'd be disqualified. Paul's saying, listen, finish well. Run the race like you're, you're, you're doing it because it matters. Stay disciplined so that no one will disqualify your talking to them about the gospel, your preaching, because of your lack of right behavior. Now, it doesn't mean we have, the, we have this terrible burden of being perfect in every area. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that it would be pretty hard to share Jesus with someone at work if they know you're stealing from the company. Can you imagine trying to do that? It'd be pretty hard to witness to those in your apartment complex if your apartment is known all through the complex as the party place where people are getting drunk every Friday night and hooking up all the time. It'd be pretty hard to tell them about Jesus, wouldn't it? See, Paul's focused on the eternal things, folks. 
The only eternal thing, there's very few things that are eternal. God's eternal. God's truth, his word is eternal. And people's souls are eternal. Paul's saying, listen, I am willing to give up my rights. I am willing to discipline my life, discipline my body, discipline my mind, so that I can be in the best position to share the gospel with those who are far from God and don't know him yet. Are we doing that? Do we wake up in the morning thinking, how can I be more disciplined today? What can I give up today in order to connect with somebody in a greater way? Who's your one? We've started this at the first of the year, this, this idea of having everybody think about who's, your, who's the one person that you would love to see come to Jesus more than anybody else? Who, who's the one person that you love and you would be devastated, devastated if they die without Jesus? You need to pray for them. You need to invite them to church. You need to spend time with them. Listen, if they're a baseball fan and you, you hate baseball, go to a baseball game with them. If they love playing pool and, and, and you, you know, hate you know, pool halls and smoky pools, buy a pool table. Do something. Do something in order to connect with people to share the gospel with them. Now, I've heard people say before, well, Michael, that seems like a little bit of bait and switch. You know, you're, you're being their friend, you're, you're doing all this friendly stuff, you're acting like you love them and everything, and then you tell them about, do the switch, you tell them about Jesus. Folks, I can't think of any friendlier thing or any more loving act than sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with somebody that you love. Listen, the guy that told me about Jesus, I love that guy. Man, I love him. And there's no more loving thing that we can do, folks, than to put ourselves in a position like Paul does to do the very best he can to get rid of all the barriers, all the conflict, all the things that are unnecessary in order to share the gospel with those around us. I want to challenge us to do that. I, want to ch- I, think, I think God wants to do more with us than we're letting happen so far. There are a lot of lost people around us and as I drive, you know, occasionally on Friday nights, and, and I drive from, you know, 9 o'clock in the evening till 2 o'clock in the morning, man, there are just a lot of people that need Jesus in our city. There are a lot of them. And God wants to use us. God wants to use us to minister to them, to connect to them, to offer them eternal life. Oh, he'll, he'll do the business in their heart, but he's counting on us to be the messengers. Folks, we need to do that. We need to do that just like Paul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us to follow you in a greater way. God, forgive me for the times that I have either um, exercised my personal rights at the cost of relationships or that I have lived in a sinful manner uh, that has created a barrier that didn't need to exist in sharing the gospel with others. God, help us to meet more people that are far from you. Help us to connect with them. Help us to build relationships with them and love them. Help us to serve them so that we get a hearing, so that we get the opportunity to share the good news of your son Jesus with them. And God, we will be careful to always remember that you were the one that does the work in their hearts. We don't ever uh, convert a person, but you do. But God, we ask that you help us 
We know that um, the bottleneck is not you and your spirit uh, reaching people's hearts. It's us not speaking. God, help us. Help us to get over that and to be more concerned about people's eternity than we are exercising our personal rights in some way. We love you, and we thank you for those who shared the good news of Jesus with us. Bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.